Today we're studying Joshua chapter 1 through 3, and we are also going to be looking a little bit at Ephesians chapter 1. Now get ready, because uh, here's the deal. I'm going to be talking about some stuff in Ephesians, and uh, we're, go we're going to go there. We are going to go there today. So why don't you go ahead and pray with me, wherever you are. Let's join our hearts uh, in prayer briefly as we open God's Word together. Amen. Father, we thank you today for your word, and we pray as we gather together in homes or wherever we, we might be all over this region, and there are some joining us from other countries. Father, we pray that you would open your word to us in a way that we would understand it, but that you would also give us the grace to walk it out. We desire to know you, to know your word, and to obey you with all of our heart. And I pray, God, that you would give us courage to obey you in the life that we live. God, I pray over my friends. I ask, Lord, that you would give each one of them everything that they need today to engage what you've called them to, who you've called them to reach, speak to, encourage. I pray that you would fill us up and bless us, that we could be a blessing today. We want to begin our day with your word. And so as, as your church, we gather together and we expect great things. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us as we look to you today together in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 1. Uh, this, is my, this is my Bible. It's all worn out. I need to get it redone. But uh, it's a great, it's a keyword study Bible. I love it. It's got a lot of Greek and Hebrew helps in the back. Um, if you're looking, though, for a study Bible, I have lots of recommendations. They have come out with some excellent study Bibles these days. Uh, both of my kids have a different one. Actually, all four of my kids have different study Bibles. And so we've been able to go through the various ones to see which one uh, gives you what information and which one would be best for you, depending on what you're looking for. And so I think uh, the study Bibles that they have out today solve a lot of the uh, questions that we might have because of the level of commentary or historicity that they provide, not only in the introductions, but also throughout the margins of the page. They have a lot of them that just focus on historicity and they provide context and meaning for us, basically for the questions that we already have. And so I'm just really impressed with a lot of the study Bibles out. If you're interested in which one might be the best for you, the only reason I would actually know that maybe the answer to that is because I've researched a lot of them in order to buy them for many people in, in, the, in their walk with Jesus right where they're at. So we are reading today in Joshua chapter one, and I want to remind you of the context of Joshua. We just wrapped up Deuteronomy yesterday, and that was really the end of Moses's life. Moses blessed the nation of Israel, the tribes of Israel, as they're going to go into the promised land. He goes up on the mountain and essentially God takes his life and Joshua is going to succeed Moses in leadership. He's going to lead the people into the promised land. And we enter into the book knowing that basically because we've been reading it, we've been prepared as a people, just like the Israelites as they were attentively listening, uh, attentively listening to Moses, his instructions, the laws that God gave and the reminders, the exhortations that they were to receive before going into the promised land. Now we're with Joshua and the people of Israel, and they're getting ready to head into the promised land. Finally, after 40 years, they are leaving the wilderness. And I'm going to read basically Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. We're going to go through some select passages through these three chapters. And here's what it says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We've heard that before, haven't we, in the New Testament? Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. 
Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I want you to remember that verse because I'm going to focus on that verse. He says, then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The next several verses, Joshua goes throughout the camp, encouraging the officers to prepare themselves for their departure. Now, I wanted to just bring up a few things based out of these nine verses. Number one, I've already given you the context. We know that the succession of leadership has happened. Now, here's Joshua, who is now going to lead all of the nation of Israel into the promised land. He's been well-equipped, well-prepared, at Moses's side. He was a witness of God's relationship to Moses. And now here God is saying to Joshua that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So what this passage does in the beginning is it lays out the calling of Joshua, specifically where God uh, is speaking to him about what's coming. Joshua knows what's coming. Joshua knows what he is supposed to do. He's been prepared for this for a long time. But God gives them some very clear, I would say, encouragements as he is embarking on the mission of leadership that he is now taking on, this mantle that has been placed on his life. And what I wanted to do is not so much make a parallel to our lives, but let's just say every one of us is called to a level of leadership. Now, those level of, levels of leadership will differ. Um, and we know as leaders, we're servant leaders. We're not leaders that lord authority over people, but we're leaders that have been given authority in order to serve, help, and to bless. We understand this from following the Lord Jesus, right? And so we've talked about this before, but I think it's important that we parallel the concept of leadership, not necessarily his call to our call, but I want to take out some principles of what God said to Joshua in, in the onset of his calling they're about to depart and go into the promised land. There's this sort of preparatory encouragement that's happening from God to him. And I think we can extrapolate some of that for our own lives. But let's just go ahead and look at the things that Joshua is said to the Lord. And I, I told you to remember the verse. He said, then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, again, prosperous, I'm, I'm not talking about what I would consider the health and wealth gospel. Prosperous and successful is in context with fulfilling God's will and following God's word. Being successful is not to have more, but it's to know that we are in the center of God's will. This is what it's all about for us. What other success could we be talking about? So God speaking to him and saying, you will prosper. You will extend fully into what I have designed and declared for you. And you will receive and you will have and you will walk in the success of following my will and my word. And that will be his satisfaction. But this will happen if you follow the things that I have said and you stay with the encouragement that I have given. So I just pulled out some thoughts as I read these nine verses and I want to share them with you. The first one to be successful or to be prosperous in that context following God's word and accomplishing God's will, is we have to know the plan of God. We see this in Joshua's life. Joshua had been well-equipped. They knew where they were going, what they were doing, what it's all about. This would be important, obviously, when they're going to face opposition. Now think about this. We have to know in our life what God's will is. And I think sometimes as his people, we forget what this is all about. Our life, is, it's not just about our happiness. It's not just about having everything as safety and comfort. When things in our life, when the rug gets pulled out from under us, so to speak, we still know what God has called us to do in Christ. We, we still understand all of that. But knowing the plan of God in our life helps us in the face of opposition or in difficult times. And I, I believe Joshua, as he's entering, about to enter into the promised land, Remember, his call first is to dispossess the land. God's saying, I'll be with you. But he needed to know that the plan of God from beginning to end, it was to fully inherit the land. So when he's warring through those 50 war campaigns that they're about to go through, the conquests of Canaan, 
He needed to understand from beginning to end, this is what we're going towards. This is what it's all about. And, and he had to remind himself many times, I'm certain of it. Number two, we need to know that the presence of God is with us. God says twice to Joshua in these verses, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Joshua is not on his own. The presence of God is with him. And we even see this towards the end of chapter three, where the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant and the Jordan River rolls back when the, the foot or the ankle of the priest touches the Jordan River. They're carrying the presence of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord is with them. And it's it's an amazing thing. We have to know that when we face, they were going to face 50 to 60 war wars or, or battles as they go into their promised land, as they dispossess the land. They needed to know that it wasn't up to their own strength. That's why God says, I am with you. He's not, he's not saying it merely as a comforting statement. He's saying it as an equipping statement. I am with you. I'm not only telling you what to do, but I will be with you every step of the way. You need to know that. We need to know that in our life, that opposition, difficulty, trial, turmoil comes. God is with us. He didn't just ask us to go do something and then come back with a report. He said, go, and I'm going to be with you. Don't ever forget that. The presence of the Lord is with us. And certainly they needed to know that, and so do we. Number three says, be strong and courageous. You think about uh, the word strong here is the same word for when Pharaoh's heart was hardened. His, his heart was strengthened. That's the kind of resolve that God is talking about. Be strong, be resolved like a pillar that just doesn't give way, doesn't waver, doesn't move to the right or to the left. Be strong and courageous. Move forward and don't stop moving. This is the kind of strength and courage that he was referring to. God gives us the courage and we can be strong and courageous knowing that he is with us. But that word is very applicable to our lives right now. Be strong because you know the plan, because you know who is with you. Not be strong in and of yourself. Self-sufficiency is not what it's about. Self-strength, self-motivation. We're not about self-help. We are about God's help. We need God. We were created to be connected, interconnected, and dependent upon him and his word. We can be strong because God is strong. We can be strong because we know what God is about. Having courage is necessary in the face of opposition. And weren't they going to face some opposition? Don't you face some opposition? We certainly do, but we can be courageous in the Lord. Number four, he says, meditate on this word. He says, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. And my, my belief, and Jesus even said this, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. Listen to that. Out of the overflow of your heart, what you're filled with will come out of you. Meditate means to consider. It means to ponder. Consider deeply. There's no way that, that we would be anchored in God's word if it wasn't something that was constantly in front of us. And the psalmist even goes on to saying, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That, that doesn't mean that it's somewhere in there. <laughs> you know, I don't know where, but it's in some secret vault. It's talking about storing up God's word in our life. Sometimes we look at knowing, reading, studying God's word as sort of like a, a intellectual thing, as a knowledge thing. And that's really not necessarily what it's about. The Bible is a book of life. It, they're words of life. They're, they're living. Spiritual reality, as we participate in studying and reading God's word, we are filling up our spirit with food that we will need in another season. We will be full of God's word as we consider it, as we meditate upon it. He tells Joshua, meditate on the book of the law. Do not let it depart from your mouth. Think about it. Read it. Speak it constantly be focused on it. See, that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that provides strength for us. You know, it, it that's what radical Christianity is actually. It's where we're so focused on God's word, we can't help but speak it and live it. It's not just something we know about, it's something that we're speaking out, we're living. And whatever we're filled with is going to come is going to come out of us. That's why I'm always cautious what what I'm watching, that's always I'm always cautious how much I'm reading and listening to other things. I want to be so filled with God's word 
that it can't help but come out of my life. It's uncontainable. This is what, to me, it's all about. Do not let it depart. Now, other things can be a part of our life. Other things can be a focus in our life. Other things can, can, can be in our life. But it doesn't mean that it, has, it can't have the same space in our life. If we're going to be prosperous and successful in the will of God, then we have to be those that meditate on his word. This is why I'm so adamant about people for themselves being in the word of God every single day. I will not teach or train up a disciple of Jesus without this being a fundamental principle of every person's life. I believe 100% without a shadow of a doubt, you couldn't talk me out of it, that every Christian follower of Jesus needs to be in the word of God every day. This isn't about legalism. This is about what we need, that we need to meditate on his word day and night. All right, this is day and night. So what is life like where we don't take these kinds of scriptures seriously? I mean, here they are fulfilling the will of God, which is what we are doing today. And we understand as we follow Jesus what that means and the difference that it would mean for us versus them. But it's still the will of God, the revealed will of God. This is what helps us to be prosperous and successful as we follow God's will and God's ways. I love the book of Joshua. You see in Joshua chapter 2, as we move on throughout the book, they, they send spies into Jericho before they cross over and in the River Jordan and go into uh, the beginning or the onset of the promised land. And the spies have an interaction with the harlot named Rahab, who actually spares them from the leaders of the city being able to take their life, knowing that there are some spies among them in the city. And this is important because it comes, we, we come back to this later actually um, in the gospel, seeing that Rahab is a part of the, the lineage or the genealogy of uh, the Lord Jesus, which is a p really powerful thing. I won't, I won't go into that today. Because um, that would really just take a lot of time itself. Joshua chapter 3, the nation of Israel is moving toward the Jordan River. And they're going to cross over. They're getting ready. And so uh, Mo, or Joshua is giving them some directives of how they're going to cross uh, that river. And the priests, as they're carrying the ark, uh, when the priests touch the water with their feet, the river will roll back and the whole nation will rock, walk through on dry ground. Verse 5 in Joshua chapter 3, Joshua says, Consecrate yourselves. Tell the people to consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you will see amazing things among you. And I just wrote this as an observation, and I wanted to remind you. Um, what God did for this generation is show them powerfully that he would be with them as they move forward in the promised land, just like he was with their parents, who moved from slavery where they were in Egypt, into freedom, into the wilderness, God caused the Red Sea to open up. I believe that's Exodus 14, as they walked through it. This was such a profound thing. You remember the story, the Israelites, uh, by a moving of God's mighty hand, the leading of Moses, they come out of slavery in Egypt. Exodus chapter 14, the Egyptians now uh, came to their senses, I guess, and are following the Israelites, learning, realizing that they've just lost all of their slave labor. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So they're going now to get back their slaves or even maybe slaughter them, or we don't exactly know, but they're certainly going to wage war against them. And the Lord tells Moses to lift his staff over the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, better, better stated, and it parts and the Israelites walk through it on dry ground. And as the Egyptians come and following them in hot pursuit, the water swallows up the Egyptians. And God said to them, this enemy you will never see again after this. Very powerful. I believe that as they go through the River Jordan here in Joshua chapter 3, what I think is happening is that same miracle that God did for their parents. Because these are the kids of those who came out of slavery and died in the wilderness. This generation that's going into the promised land are the kids of those that came out of slavery. And they may have seen a little bit of that. They may have known of it or they heard of it, depending on how old they were. But something we know for sure is they, they, they didn't get to see in the same way or comprehend the miraculous power, the working of God's mighty hand, the same way as their parents did. They, they saw it firsthand. Now, how they stewarded those miracles, now that's another story. 
But I believe what God's doing for this generation is before they go into their promised land, before they have to arm themselves for war and for battle, before they have to face the opposition that they're about to receive as a, as a result of dispossessing the people from the inheritance that God is giving to them, God shows them a mighty working of his hand. Now, it's debatable that God did not need to lead the people in Exodus 14 through the Red Sea. There, there is another way. You, you almost follow the way the people went, and, and it doesn't seem like that was the way that they needed to go, but that was the way that God led them. I believe, this is my opinion, that God showed them something mighty, something amazing. He gave them a miracle. Why? As something that they could remember in the wilderness. And I believe that's what it says in Deuteronomy that the Lord actually said through Moses to the Israelites, why did I lead you into the wilderness for these 40 years? Why did I do these things in the past that I did? There are many reasons why he did that. He wanted to show them who he was. He wanted to show them his power. They would build like a, a, a memorial. You know, they would have these remembering stones. And that's actually, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but in Joshua 4, 5, 6, when they do cross through, the Jordan River, they have to build this pile of rocks. And it's it's a memorial. It's something that they will remember and they will pass on and tell the story of to their kids. God does these things in our life. And I, and I want to contend as a parallel principle. There are things in our lives that God does so that we might look back upon them and remember his mighty working in our lives. This is the way in which we can remember the power of God in our lives and be reminded that this is the God that we follow. See, we're in a pandemic right now, and you know, tomorrow or six months from now, it may not be this, it may, it may be the economy that we're facing, difficulties that we're facing. We might lose a loved one, we might lose a job. The future is unknown to us right now. But what is not unknown is the mighty working of our God. And this is why when the Lord does something in our life, when he did something for them, why did he lead them through the Jordan River. I could actually make a case that God did not need to lead them through the Jordan River. There were many other ways that he could have led the people to where they were going. Now, some people say, well, it's the shortest route. It's the shortest route from where they were, but it didn't have to be the way they went. I believe that God led them certain ways, performed specific miracles so that they could remember who he was, see his mighty power, and teach that to their children, that their children would marvel at the power of God. And when they face new oppositions that come to them, that they could look back and say, this is who God is, and this is what God does. Verse four, verse five, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall see amazing things, marvelous things among you. Isn't that powerful? Can you and I just look back for a moment and realize what God has done for each one of us, that God has worked powerfully on our behalf. And isn't that really what the cross of Jesus actually is? It's that God for us through Jesus has worked powerfully and wonderfully. And that actually brings us, by the way, to Ephesians chapter one. And we're just gonna look at this briefly. I'm gonna take you for about 10 minutes. Let me give you just a quick uh, little bit of context for the book of Ephesians. We know that the apostle Paul wrote the letter of Ephesians. Uh, he wrote it to not only those in Ephesus, but this is a very unique letter. Many scholars believe that it was meant to be circulated far beyond Ephesus. And this is probably the, the most widely distributed letter that Paul wrote. Paul wrote 13 letters of the New Testament that we have recorded. And we know that Paul came to Ephesus on his second missionary journey. The book of Acts records three missionary journeys of Paul and his companions and when he first came to Ephesus, he was with Priscilla and Aquila. We do have recorded in Acts chapter 19 that on Paul's third missionary journey that he actually stayed in Ephesus for three years. It was, it was a long time that he was there. When he wrote the letter to the Ephesian church, he was imprisoned in Rome, we believe, and he stresses some specific aspects or parts of doctrine as well as practical living. And I think that's actually the MO of the Apostle Paul. He's always concerned about doctrine and he's concerned about the lifestyle of the believer, which by the way, doctrine and the way we live are utterly connected. So it seems right to me. Now let's go ahead and read some things here. I just want to um, 
highlight some stuff. I don't know, I might read the whole letter, but uh, this is actually a, a very misunderstood chapter, chapter one, by the way, and uh, maybe I'll get on my soapbox today. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't like that, would you? No, you wouldn't like that. All right. Paul, an apostle, Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful, uh, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in, purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked. I love that word. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing, or sometimes people would say a down payment guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You know, you know something that I love? There's a lot of us on here right now, 100-ish. What's amazing is that you guys are just listening to me read scripture. Isn't that powerful? We are just reading scripture. Now, here's some things I want to say. Number one, we look at verse one, where he just, he refers to God's holy people. And in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, God's holy people, his people who are set apart, those that are separated unto God. This would be referring simply to the nation of Israel. Paul the Apostle is not merely referring to the nation of Israel. We know that the two have become one, the nation of Israel and the Gentile world. In Christ, we become one new man, the scripture teaches. This is a beautiful picture that the holy of the Lord the saints of the Lord are both Jew and Gentile, those who are in Christ. I just want to bring that out because it is something that Paul certainly intends and means. Now this, as Matt actually already said here on, on the stream, he said that this is actually the chapter where many who consider themselves Calvinist or have a Calvinist theology get a lot of their basis, or at least they think that it's saying that we have been predestined. Excuse me, I'm kind of... Maybe it's my allergies. I don't know why. This is where some get their theological framework for us being predestined in Christ. And I actually don't believe that. I'm not Calvinist. I don't personally believe salvationally that God has chosen some and he has equally chosen some. He's chosen some for himself and for heaven and to be eternally in relationship with him. And he's chosen others to be eternally separated from him. Like God like just, just on a board game, he chose some 
on his team and he chose some to not be on his team. I, I, don't, I don't actually believe that. I know there are some that do. I, I respect the fact that they want to honor the sovereignty of God. I, I understand that. I, I respect people. I differ theologically. I don't make fun. I don't act like I know more or know better. I understand there's mystery behind these things. I, I can acknowledge that. I can acknowledge there's plenty that I do not know. But I do not believe that this chapter is actually saying for a second that we have been chosen without a choice ourselves. I don't think that's what it actually says. And I want to show you how I look at this, because if we don't see it the way that it is meant to be, or within the grammar, the terminology, then we will automatically assume that's what it's saying. So let me read to you this again, just so that we can get our bearings when it comes to reading scripture. Okay, the first is, here's what it says, uh, verse four, for he chose, okay, he chose, God chose us, now, I want you to remember the word us is referring to people that have already believed in Christ. So he's talking about the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the church, those that have been set apart in him. He chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. So sometimes people will stop right here. They'll say, see, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And people will preach this. They'll say, see, before the creation of the world, you were chosen. And that almost implies you didn't have a choice. Like no matter what, how you respond to him in, in your acceptance and receiving or your rejection and your resisting, that it didn't matter because he chose you before the creation of the world. That, that's actually not what this says. That's why you have to read the whole chapter and that's why you have to finish the verse. It says he chose you in Christ before the creation of the world. That means that the plan of God to send Jesus to redeem those that would receive him was set into place before the foundation of the world. That's just expressing the omniscience of God. God knew what he was doing before we ever took from the tree. God knew what was going to happen. And so he put his plan into place where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had a plan in order to redeem back the world so that they we all would have relationship again. So it says we have been chosen in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. This is what those who choose Christ were called to. We're called to be holy, set apart, to be blameless in his sight. And then it says, in love, he predestined us. He predestines those that choose Christ. It does not say he predestined us to be saved. It is saying he predestined those who are saved. This is important because the grammar is referring to a people that have already chosen Christ. It is not referring to the salvation process, what happens before they're in Christ. He is speaking to a saved people. And this to me is where Calvinists miss it. They don't even reference these things. And I could actually show you in Romans 28, 29, and all the way through the end of that chapter, the exact same thing. When I talk to somebody who believes that this chapter is actually predicated upon the idea that God chose us without any of us being able to choose him. That to me is not what it's saying. And, and, and I'm just reading the text. You would have to have a certain kind of theology in order to think that. So whenever anybody ever says that the Bible says that we were chosen before the creation of the world, that, that, that's not true. Everybody was chosen before the creation of the world because it was God's choice to send Jesus, and it was Jesus' choice to give his life. This chapter is not about our salvation per se. It's about our purpose to reveal Jesus. This is about the supremacy of Christ. It is not about the salvation of man. It shares what the salvation of man produces because of the Son of God. And, and, and I'll go ahead and keep reading because I can prove that based on what it simply says, the plain reading of Scripture. In love, he predestined. So he planned in advance for us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace. This is what his grace would produce. And it isn't suggesting for a second that we don't have any part to play in, in responding to this grace. He has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us, the saved, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Well, what is the mystery of his will? Is it how we're saved that some are chosen and, and some aren't? Because that's what some in their theological camps would, would suppose. It's, that's, that's what they preach. 
But he goes on to saying what his will is, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. The supremacy of Jesus. This entire thing just shows the gloriousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that he willingly laid down his life so that all men and women could respond to him. And those that do have been predestined to what? To become like him. He is the target. He is the focus. He, he, is, he is what it's all about, the supremacy of Christ. Listen to this. In him, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything. Now, now I just want to stop there again because people will, people will say, see, it says again, in him we were chosen. See, it's the key in reading this chapter is it says in him, in Christ. We were chosen in him. If it didn't say that, it's saying we were chosen to be saved. It's not explicitly clear and it's not explicitly clear for a reason. God or Paul is just showing us and sharing with us very specifically that those who are in Christ are the ones that are set apart. Those that are in Christ are predestined according to the plan of God. And then he wants to, his whole point is to explain what God's plan is, that everything would come into conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, you believed, this was your part. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the full redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He's revealing the, the New American Standard Version says the summing up of all things in Christ. That's a that's a an accounting term. It's almost a calculation that that we are going from glory to glory, from one thing to the next. Romans eight twenty eight and twenty nine says, "For all things work together for good for those who love God, and are called according to His purpose." That word purpose is like prothesis. It's it's a, like the thesis of a paper. Those who are called according to His purpose, and he goes he goes on to say. For those, the purpose of God is that we would be conformed in the image of his son, that we who are in him would look more and more like him, that we would grow from glory to glory, from faith to faith, and we would reflect the Lord Jesus, his nature, his character, his authority, that we would look more like the one that we're following. Jesus was not merely the payment for our sins. He was also the pattern for our life. This is what this chapter is all about, the supremacy of Christ. Now, I'll finish by saying this because to me, this was really, really powerful um, as I was reading this this morning. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for those who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And I wrote some things that I think is just so, so um, important. In verse 17, when he talks about that God might give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, sometimes Pentecostals, meaning well, kind of use this verse to just talk about having a prophetic spirit, you know, that he would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. The, the wisdom and revelation that Paul is talking about is not about having prophetic eyes that see and ears that hear. He is talking about what this chapter is literally built upon, the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is saying that when I think about you, when I pray for you, when I see you working hard in the Lord, I pray as I am sharing this with you, that God would give you a spirit of wisdom, applied knowledge and revelation, that things would be unveiled to you. What? That the plan of God, that his will, that number one, you would know him better and that you would understand his will clearly, that the summing up of all things in Christ, both things in the heavens and things on the earth, 
Paul desires for the people of God to see Jesus in all of his glory. Paul desires for the people of God not merely to see their own plan, but rather to see his plan. He's praying. He is asking the Father to send a major revelation that in the midst of all we face, in the midst of all that we go through, day in and day out, decisions, sacrifices, the things that we experience, whether it's difficult, whether it's great, whether it's the blessing, whether it's the turmoil, he's saying, I pray in the middle of all that, that your eyes would be able to see the real thing that is happening, the supremacy of Jesus, that Jesus came for us, he died for us, that we are in him and that we are with him forever, that you wouldn't lose sight of the greatest and most important revelation the Lord Jesus Christ who is coming back and we will forever worship him. This picture that we see the apostle John revealed to us in the book of Revelation where the elders cast their crowns at his feet. I mean, this is like Revelation shows us once again, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it says at the very beginning in chapter one of the book of Revelation, that this is a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, here's, here's what I want us to see. I, I want us to see that in the midst uh, of us trying to read this book and get application points, I'm not against devotionals, but one of the reasons that I don't read them personally, I don't think they're wrong or anything like that, is because we're always trying to get like a next step. We're always trying to get an application point. We're always trying to get something that makes sense for us. But listen, there's nothing that makes more sense than knowing him better and seeing him above it all and in it all and through it all, that we would literally have the glorious Christ in our view, both day and night. And we would not lose sight because when we have him in our view, when we see Jesus in everything, we will do anything. It isn't then about just these application points or, or how I can extrapolate certain principles for my life, for my life to be this way or that way, but rather when Jesus is in full view and we have the knowledge of him and we have wisdom about his purposes and his plan and we have a revelation of his glory and of his grace and the riches that there are in Christ, that this life does not end when we die, but we will live forever. We have him in full view the supremacy of Christ in our sight, we will do anything for the Lord Jesus. We will say yes to anything that he puts in front of us. We, we will overcome anything that's an obstacle in our way because he is in our view. Now, that is, if that's not practical, I, I don't know what is. <laughs> I, I pray today, just like the Apostle Paul, for me and for you, that we would have a revelation of Jesus the supremacy of Christ, full view. He would be in full view. Isn't that what we want? It's what we want to see the beautiful Savior, glorious Jesus. This is why I talk about the beauty of Jesus, that we would see the beauty of Jesus in, in, in everything that we do every day of our life. And let's be honest, we lose sight. We lose sight. We go through, we go through things and we lose sight of him. We can acknowledge that today. And when we acknowledge that today, we ask him to come into focus in our life. Lord, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of your will that we might know you better and that we might see your plan above it all. That I play a role in simply serving you and what you're all about. But this is all about, Ephesians 1 is all about the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. It is, it is not a treatise about how you and I are saved, that God chooses some for his team and some for eternal damnation. That, that is not what it says. You, you would have to think that before you read it. When you read it and you just absorb what it's saying, you just see the gloriousness of Jesus giving his life. And it says, for those who have believed that we are found in him and that before this plan all began, that those who would be in him, he would choose for them to be predestined according to his will, that you and I are now a part of this plan to bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus until it's all over. And guess what? When our life is over, it's not over because then we're in the presence of the one that we loved while we lived upon the earth. That's what this chapter is about. Amen and amen. Why don't we pray today? God bless you. Thank you for letting me just go ahead and share my heart today. I just am so full. I, I don't I don't never like to be too dogmatic, but I just think to me it's just so sad 
that we read a chapter as beautiful as that and we get bound up in in this idea that some he chooses and some he doesn't choose it, and it's not even what it says that's not what it's about you, you'd have to read that in it it bothers me honestly because we just lose the beauty of the whole point right the whole point to acknowledge and honor him Amen, amen. Today, I want to pray for healing. I want to pray for deliverance. And I also want to pray for a fresh boldness in evangelism. And, and also, at the end of that, we'll simply just pray that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of his will. Amen. Love you guys. Let's pray. Would you join me? Father, we do thank you today in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for the beauty of your word. Thank you, Lord, that even when it's not uh, a practical application that we're extrapolating or we're learning. It's, it's, it's still, there's something about seeing this beautiful picture of what you wanted us to know. You, you wanted us to know these things so that we could walk in a way with our head held high, seeing you in all of your glory and your beauty. And Lord, today I come to you and I acknowledge that I lose sight of your beauty in my life. I look to lesser things and Lord, I repent of that. And I just join my friends today. We repent, God, of looking to lesser things. We repent of giving our affection and our devotion and our attention to things that do not deserve that place in our lives. I've done it. Lord, I did it just yesterday. I, I, I pray I don't do it today. I pray that you would be in full view, that, Lord, we'd be humble enough to just bring ourselves before you and ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of your will. Today, I pray for all of us that we would see the beauty of Jesus more and more and more. Lord, I pray for a great revelation of what he's done, of who he is, and how you, you're leading us to be more like our Savior. Lead us to be more loving. Lead us to be more forgiving. Lead us to be more life-giving in the world that we live in. God, I pray over us a fresh boldness, a freedom of speech, that where we're hindered about sharing the testimony of the Lord, to the praise of his glory in our lives. I pray, God, that you would just unhinder un us, that you would remove that, that part of us that wants to resist and wants to be reluctant and hesitant. I pray that you would push the mute button so we would be able to speak again the name of Jesus. I pray for a boldness on us, Lord, that's not brazen, and, and it looks like us. The boldness that you give to us looks like us, but it looks like us unashamed. It sounds like us, but without the hindrance. I pray for that boldness for every one of us today, that when we meet someone today, that we would be open and we would be available, not waiting for you to tell us that this is the right person, but knowing that every person is the right person. We don't know who will respond to you, but what we do know is that we're supposed to give people opportunities to hear about you, to see you at work through our lives, and to also hear about your glorious plan. Would you give us divine appointments today? Would you open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to be a part of your plan today? Not just to wait for things to get better, but rather maybe somebody is on the other end of our obedience waiting for their eternity, God, to be revealed to them. That what this is really all about is not merely about getting our restrictions lifted. That's, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for just a, a little bit, a glimmer of hope to have a better month or a better tomorrow. Certainly we all want that, Lord, but I pray in the middle of that that it would be so much bigger to us in the, in the midst of this. Your plan has not changed. We ask for fresh encouragement today. And right now I just pray healing over all of us that we would receive divine healing. I pray over anybody that's watching and listening to me right now. I pray for your healing power in the name of the Lord Jesus. I thank you for the many testimonies that we've seen of your healing. Even just yesterday, I read of a testimony that as we're doing this type of stuff, that you're healing people, that your presence is, you're omnipresent. You're with all of us at the same time, all over this world, Lord. This world is full of your glory and is filling up of your glory. Your presence fills every place. And we pray right now that you would touch us, Lord. Touch our bodies, God, where we need strength. God, I just, I just pray right now that you would even resuscitate those that are in the hospital. We pray in the name of Jesus that those that are um, those that are just struggling even to, to breathe or to live, Lord, right now, we pray in Jesus' mighty name that you would bring healing to them. God, I also pray over somebody's just their knees right now. I just see a picture of someone's knees. I pray in Jesus' name that you would strengthen the muscles. And Lord, where there's maybe even missing cartilage or 
or there's a missing something that's missing that's not uh, not supposed to be that way i just pray for a regenerative miracle i pray for miracles signs and wonders to be released Lord, we thank you also in this season that uh, I, I even believe this. I just speak this prophetically, that there are people that are receiving a call to be a doctor and to be a nurse in this season, that they realize with this virus how valuable it is that you would heal through human hands. And I pray, God, over anybody that feels a call to the medical that medical field, I pray over them right now in Jesus' name that that healing gift would rest upon them in wisdom and that healing gift would rest upon them in comfort the things that they say and the things that they do, what they put their hands to, they would not only see healing through natural means, but they would see supernatural healing as well. I pray that the call for people to enter into that field would be released in such a way where people would see the path ahead of them. I pray, God, for endurance to follow through in all that you give us in this regard. And I thank you, Lord, that you are calling many of us to do things in these days that that maybe if we didn't have a time to stop, we wouldn't hear your voice on that. God, I also thank you for your provision. I pray for those that are struggling at, at home right now with uh, the change, whether it's the kids and everybody being packed into the house. Lord, I just see somebody and they're just spinning. I see, I see somebody that's maybe you're listening to me right now and you're just spinning around. You just feel like, when's, when, am I, when, I, when am I gonna collapse? When am I gonna fall down? If you if you were just to spin in place, it'd just be a matter of time. And that's how you feel right now. And I just, we just bring a stop to that in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would just stop that person, that feeling that they have of just spinning around and around and around and they, they can't get their bearings. I just pray right now for a fresh stability over them. I pray for a new strength over them today. I pray, God, that you would minister to their mind, to their heart to where they're at. Lord, I thank you for your grace in our lives that you can give us what we're not able to have ourselves. We're not able to be strong in and of ourselves. I pray for your strength over them today. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Ephesians 6.10, we speak that scripture over them today. I see you just stop and the Lord giving you what you need. Lord, would you do that for us today? We believe that you will. We pray for your provision financially over all of us as well for the days to come. We trust you. We look to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining me for the daily word.